Chapter Three of the Abbot's Ghost. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. The Abbot's Ghost or Maurice Treherne's Temptation by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Three. Who was it? Who had taken it? This question tormented Treherne all that sleepless night. He suspected three persons for only these three had approached the fire after the note was hidden he had kept his eye on it he thought till the stir of breaking up in that moment it must have been removed by the major frank annan or my lady sir jasper was out of the question for he never touched an ornament in the drawing-room since he had awkwardly demolished a whole attache of costly trifles to his mother's and sister's great grief the major evidently suspected something annan was jealous and my lady would be glad of a pretext to remove her daughter from his reach trusting to his skill in reading faces he waited impatiently for morning resolving to say nothing to any one but mrs snowdon and from her merely to inquire what the note contained treherne usually was invisible till lunch often till dinner therefore fearing to excite suspicion by unwanted activity he did not appear till noon the mail-bag had just been opened and every one was busy over their letters but all looked up to exchange a word with the newcomer and octavia impulsively turned to meet him then checked herself and hid her suddenly crimsoned face behind the newspaper treherne's eye took in everything and saw at once in the unusually late arrival of the mail a pretext for discovering the pilferer of the note all have letters but me yet i expected one last night major have you got it among yours and as he spoke treherne fixed his penetrating eyes full on the person he addressed with no sign of consciousness no trace of confusion the major carefully turned over his pile and replied in the most natural manner not a trace of it i wish there was for nothing annoys me more than any delay or mistake about my letters he knows nothing of it thought treherne and turned to annan who was deep in a long epistle from some intimate friend with a talent for imparting news to judge from the reader's interest annan i appeal to you for i must discover who has robbed me of my letter i have but one read it if you will and satisfy yourself was the brief reply no thank you i merely asked in joke it is doubtless among my ladies jasper's letters and mine often get mixed and my lady takes care of his for him i think you must have it aunt lady treherne looked up impatiently my dear maurice what a call about the letter we none of us have it so do not punish us for the sins of your correspondent or the carelessness of the post she was not deceived for she is always intensely polite when she intends to thwart me thought treherne and apologizing for his rudeness in disturbing them he rolled himself to his nook in a sunny window and became apparently absorbed in a new magazine mrs snowdon was opening the general's letters for him and having finished her little task she roamed away into the library as if in search of a book presently returning with one she approached treherne and putting it into his hand said in her musically distinct voice be so kind as to find for me the passage you spoke of last night i am curious to see it instantly comprehending her stratagem he opened it with apparent carelessness secured the tiny note laid among the leaves and selecting a passage at hazard returned her book and resumed his own behind the cover of it he unfolded and read these words i understand but do not be anxious the line i left was merely this i must see you alone tell me when and where no one can make much of it and i will discover the thief before dinner do nothing but watch to whom i speak first on entering when we meet in the evening and beware of that person quietly transferring the note to the fire with the wrapper of the magazine he dismissed the matter from his mind and left mrs snowdon to play detective as she pleased while he busied himself about his own affairs 
It was a clear, bright December day, and when the young people separated to prepare for a ride, while the general and the major sunned themselves on the terrace, Lady Treherne said to her nephew, I am going for an airing in the pony carriage. Will you be my escort, Maurice? With pleasure, replied the young man, well knowing what was in store for him. My lady was unusually taciturn and grave, yet seemed anxious to say something which she found difficult to utter. Treherne saw this, and ended an awkward pause by dashing boldly into the subject which occupied both. I think you want to say something to me about Tavy, am I right? Yes. Then let me spare you the pain of beginning, and prove my sincerity by openly stating the truth, as far as I am concerned. I love her very dearly, but I am not mad enough to dream of telling her so. I know that it is impossible, and I relinquish my hopes. Trust me. I will keep silent and see her marry Anne without a word of complaint, if you will it. I see by her altered manner that you have spoken to her and that my little friend and nurse is to be mine no longer. Perhaps you are wise, but if you do this on my account, it is in vain. The mischief is done, and while I live I shall love my cousin. If you do it to spare her, I am dumb, and will go away rather than cause her a care or pain. Do you really mean this, Maurice? And Lady Treherne looked at him with a changed, softened face. Turning upon her, Treherne showed her countenance full of suffering and sincerity, of resignation and resolve, as he said earnestly, I do mean it. Prove me in any way you please. I am not a bad fellow, aunt, and I desire to be better. Since my misfortune, I have had time to test many things, myself among others, and in spite of many faults, I do cherish the wish to keep my soul honest and true, even though my body be a wreck. It is easy to say these things, but in spite of temptation, I think I can stand firm, if you trust me. My dear boy, I do trust you, and thank you gratefully for this frankness. I never forget that I own Jasper's life to you, and never expect to repay that debt. Remember this when I seem cold or unkind, and remember also that I say now, had you been spared this affliction, I would gladly have given you my girl, but... But, aunt, hear one thing, broke in Treherne. They tell me that any sudden and violent shock of surprise, joy or sorrow may do for me what they hope time will achieve. I said nothing of this, for it is but a chance. Yet, while there is any hope, need I utterly renounce Octavia. It is hard to refuse, and yet I cannot think it wise to build upon a chance so slight. Once let her have you, and both are made unhappy, if the hope fail. No, Maurice, it is better to be generous, and leave her free to make her own happiness elsewhere. Anne loves her, and she is heartful, and will soon learn to love him, if you are silent. My poor boy, it seems cruel, but I must say it. Shall I go away, aunt? was all his answer, very firmly uttered, though his lips were white. Not yet. Only leave them to themselves, and hide your trouble if you can. Yet, if you prefer, you shall go to town, and Benson shall see that you are comfortable. Your health will be a reason, and I will come, or write often if you are homesick. It shall depend on you, for I want to be just and kind in this hard case. You shall decide. Then I will stay. I can hide my love, and to see them together will soon cease to wound me if Octavia is happy. So let it rest, then, for a time. You shall miss your companion as little as possible, for I will try to fill her place. Forgive me, Maurice, and pity a mother's solicitude, for these two are the last of many children, and I am a widow now. Lady Treherne's voice faltered, and if any selfish hope or plan lingered in her nephew's mind, that appeal banished it and touched his better nature. Pressing her hand, he said gently, Dear aunt, do not lament over me. I am one set apart for afflictions, yet I will not be conquered by them. Let us forget my youth and be friendly counsellors together for the good of the two whom we both love. I must say a word about Jasper, and you will not press me to explain more than I can without breaking my promise. Thank you, thank you. 
It is regarding that woman, I know. Tell me all you can. I will not be importune, but I disliked her the instant I saw her, beautiful and charming as she seems. When my cousin and I were in Paris, just before my illness we met her. She was with her father then, a gay old man who led a life of pleasure, and was no fit guardian for a lovely daughter. She knew our story, and having fascinated both, paused to decide which she would accept, Jasper for his title or me for my fortune. This was before my uncle changed his will, and I believed myself his heir. But before she made her choice, something, don't ask me what if you please, occurred to send us from Paris. On our return voyage we were wrecked, and then came my illness, disinheritance, and helplessness. Edith de Berry heard the story, but rumor reported it falsely, and she believed both of us had lost the fortune. Her father died penniless, and in a moment of despair she married the general, whose wealth surrounds with the luxury she loves, and whose failing health will soon restore her liberty. And then, Maurice, interrupted my lady, she hopes to win Jasper, I think. Never. We must prevent that at all costs. I had rather see him dead before me than the husband of such a woman. Why is she permitted to visit homes like mine? I should have been told this sooner, exclaimed my lady angrily. I should have told you had I known it, and I reproved Jasper for his neglect. Do not be needlessly troubled, aunt. There is no blemish on Mrs. Snowdon's name, and as the wife of a brave and honorable man, she is received without question, for beauty, grace, or tact like hers can make the way anywhere. She stays but a week, and I will devote myself to her. This will save Jasper, and if necessary, convince Tavy of my indifference. Then he paused to stifle a sigh. But yourself, have you no fears of your own peace, Maurice? You must not sacrifice happiness or honor for me or mine. I am safe. I love my cousin, and that is my shield. Whatever happens, remember that I tried to serve you, and sincerely endeavored to forget myself. God bless you, my son. Let me call you so, and feel that. Though I deny you my daughter, I give you heartily a mother's care and affection. Lady Treherne was as generous as she was proud, and her nephew had conquered her by confidence and submission. He acted no part, yet even in relinquishing all he cherished the hope that he might get win the heart he coveted. Silently departed, but from that hour a new and closer bond existed between the two, and exerted an unsuspected influence over the whole household. Maurice waited with some impatience for Mrs. Snowdon's entrance, not only because of his curiosity to see if she had discovered the thief, but because of the part he had taken upon himself to play. He was equal to it, and felt a certain pleasure in it for a threefold reason. It would serve his aunt and cousin, would divert his mind from its own cares, and perhaps by making Octavia jealous, make him laugh, for though he had chosen the right, he was but a man, and moreover a lover. Mrs. Snowdon was late. She always was, for her toilette was elaborate and she liked to enjoy its effects upon others. The moment she entered, Treherne's eye was on her, and to his intense surprise and annoyance, she addressed Octavia, saying blandly, My dear Miss Treherne, I've been admiring your peacocks. Pray let me see you feed them tomorrow. Miss Talbot says it's a charming sight. If you're on the terrace just after lunch, you will find them there, and may feed them yourself if you like, was the cool civil reply. She looks like a peacock herself in that splendid green and gold dress, doesn't she? whispered Rose to Sir Jasper with a wicked laugh. Face, she does. I wish Tavis birds had voices like Mrs. Snowdon's. Their squealing annoys me intensely. I rather like it, for it's honest and no malice or mischief is hidden behind it. I always distrust those smooth, sweet voices. They are insincere. I like a full, clear tone, sharp, if you please, but decided and true. Well, said Octavia, I agree with you, and your own is a perfect sample of the kind you describe. 
and Treherne smiled as he rolled by to join Mrs. Snowdon, who evidently waited for him, while Octavia turned to her brother to defend her pets. "'Are you sure? How did you discover?' said Maurice, affecting to admire the lady's bouquet, as he paused beside her. "'I suspected at the moment I saw her this morning. She is no actress, and dislike, distrust, and contempt were visible in her face when we met. Till you so cleverly told me my note was lost, I fancied she was disturbed about her brother. Or you?' A sudden pause and a keen glance followed the last soft-uttered words, but Treherne met it with an inscrutable smile and inquired, Well, what next? The moment I learned that you did not get the note, I was sure she had it, and knowing that she must have seen me put it there in spite of her apparent innocence, I quietly asked her for it. This surprised her, this robbed the affair of any mystery, and I finished her perplexity by sending it to the major the moment she returned it to me, as if it had been intended for him. She begged pardon and said her brother was thoughtless, and she watched over him lest he should get into mischief, professed to think I meant the line for him, and behaved like a charming simpleton as she is. Quite a tumult about nothing. Poor little Tavy, you doubtlessly frightened her so that we may safely correspond hereafter. You may give me an answer now and here. Very well. Meet me on the terrace tomorrow morning. The peacocks will make the meeting natural enough. I usually loiter away an hour or two there in the sunny part of the day. But the girl? I will send her away. You speak as if it would be an easy thing to do. It will, both easy and pleasant. Now you are mysterious or uncomplimentary. You either care nothing for a tete a tete with her, or you will gladly send her out of my way. Which is it? You shall decide. Can I have this? She looked at him as he touched the rose with a warning glance, for the flower was both an emblem of love and of silence. Did he mean to hint that he recalled the past? or to warn her that someone was near? She leaned from the shadow of the curtain where she sat and caught a glimpse of a shadow gliding away. Who was it? she asked, below her breath. A rose, he answered, laughing. Then, as if the danger was over, he said, How will you account to the major for the message you sent him? Easily, by fabricating some interesting perplexity in which I want sage counsel. He will be flattered, and by seeming to take him into my confidence, I can hoodwink the excellent man to my heart's content for he annoys me by his good way of mounting guard over me at all times. Now take me into dinner, and be your former delightful self. That is impossible, he said, yet proved that it was not. End of chapter 3 Recording by Ellie October 2009